that hat that James Nesbitt wears looks like it reeks. And <laughs> Radagast, do you remember the, the sort of, like, weed... Oh, yeah, with, Doctor Who. Yeah, he just looked like he stank. <laughs> <laughs> there was shit in his beard and, like, rats living in his hair. And I do not know how he was meant to be charming. And, and, and look, you know... I am basically like one step removed from being a druid to look at, <laughs> you know. So I, I'm not throwing, you know, stones in a glass stone circle, but, you know, he just needed a shower. Welcome to the Electronic Wireless Show, episode 124, the best maps in games special. Uh, this is Rock Paper Shotguns, PC gaming podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion. My name is Alice Bell, and I'm joined this week by Map Castle. Hello. <laughs> Low effort this week, Matthew. What? That was good. Map Castle, that's classic. Map Castle. Yeah, well, no, I get it. I understand the joke. <laughs> All right. Uh, Hmm. And, Not well. And the cowboy. Uh, hey, boy. Uh, which is, I guess, a preview of what Nate is going to be bringing to the table in terms of best maps. I'll tell uh, you what I'm going to bring to the table. It's a quail I'm going to open like a bag of crisps. There we go. Does, I prefer, the cowboy I wouldn't... It, it was two Anthony Hopkins, but... <laughs> Cowboy wouldn't know what a bag of crisps was, Nate. Yeah, crisps are invented. No, you actually, you you told yeah. me the last time I found out about the history of crisps, so I'm not going to try and cavern a crisps you. <laughs> yeah. Did you know, Matthew, that flavoured crisps were invented by the Irish? Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I can believe that. Yeah, sure. They were invented by, I don't... It's, uh, well, it had to be invented by someone. Uh, you know, why not? They were invented by uh, Tato, basically, the Irish crisp brand. Because um, oh. before then, it was just... I'm going to look up the actual year. Because uh, before then, it was just... You had that... You had just like a pack of joyless crisp slices with a little thing of um, salt in, and you had to open... The, oh, uh, God. salt bag I used, and then I used shake to it. hate those salt and shakes because you'd tip it into the bag, shake it up, and inevitably all the salt sat on one chip and then you ate yeah. it and it would just dry out your whole body. Yeah. Oh, I uh, am going to annihilate you now. Crisps well, were invented in 1853. So yeah. you're saying the cowboy could have known a crisp? Well, yeah, because the thing about um, the Red Dead games, they're set way later than you'd presume. They're like just before the First World War. Because mm. uh, they make the interesting point that, like, you know, 
the the West was a barbarian nightmare well into the the twentieth century, uh, but a barbarian nightmare with crisps. We can presume. I'm not saying he was munching down on some golden wonder prawn cocktail, but you know, Chris, it's, it's like um, they worked out that samurai could have used uh, fax machines, or like Dracula could have bought Nintendo trading cards. Well, he's immortal. And not real. <laughs> oh, I well, that's what, no, no, that's that's actually contested. Oh come on! <laughs> uh, but yeah, flavored crisps were invented in the late fifties. That's a long time to go without flavor on your crisps. Well, I quite fancy. I quite like the, the the natural taste of potatoes. Oh, of course you do. Well, I'm just saying, like, I, I actually think if someone brought out now just, like, this is just potato-flavoured crisps, I would definitely give them a go, and I can imagine they'd be quite nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you, you probably, like, boil onions to take, you know, any any sort of hint of flavour out of them and just eat, you know. What, yeah. weak insult? You boil onions. Sorry, I'm going to take it back. I, you didn't deserve that. <laughs> I didn't deserve to say it. <laughs> My mum claims that when she was a child, an insult on the playground was your mum can't knit, but that oh. that seems unlikely. <laughs> what am I, a, a, a weirdly like counter-feminist bit of bullying? <laughs> it, uh, Jim Trinker, who I used to work with, uh, told me there's a, an insult in Scotland um, that was definitely when he was a kid. But I don't know if they still still do it, but it's your dad sells Avon. <laughs> wow! As in, your father is a rep for the Avon company. Do you remember that really really hot summer in two thousand and three? The mega hot one. Yeah, I remember staggering through the suburbs of southeast London at the absolute height of that, and just passing the parched like desiccated yellow square of grass outside of a lawnmower showroom and there were just two like golem shaped shirtless children standing around like you know just existing Mm. like you know suffering in the heat and they weren't saying anything. And then one of them just looked at the other and sneered and sweat pouring down his face. Said, you live in a bin and your, your wife's a crisp packet. <laughs> and that moment just stuck <laughs> with me in the most lucid detail. I just thought that was, it was like a post-apocalyptic vignette. Well, I, I don't think that's as cutting as that child thinks because... Like, you live in a bin, uh, but, you know, you're trying to build a life for yourself in that bin by, like, <laughs> setting down roots, making a family. That's, that's kind of, I'd say that's actually, it's not ideal when it's a crisp packet, but you're scraping back towards respectability. <laughs> I would say. I, if I was still a child, that's what I would have said. Yeah, two of you yeah. have adopted a cartoon fish skeleton and, yeah. You know. It's like, well, it's a semblance of a happy family life. So, you know, who's the the real fool? I guess what that kid was saying was, at least you're trying, mate. (laughs) Did you see um, 
uh, Sesame Street has um, introduced a uh, a Muppet, I guess, um, who a child who um, is experienced, who is homeless, um, so that they can talk about you know those issues and you know whatever and and there was a headline that was like first muppet to be homeless and then someone was like oscar lives in a bin like and so the implication is that yeah oscar's bin is a home also do we specifically see the homes of the other muppets of sesame street like for all we know cookie monster is just walking around the place eating cookies. you know we don't see him like sleep or like he spends all his money on cookies instead of yeah we rent. don't know like it's not explicitly said but it's neither it's not like Bert and Ernie who clearly have a house hang on what about that sinister elephant with the long eyelashes that doesn't live in a house yeah sinister elephant which what? it's like it's like imagine if an elephant and a coconut had forbidden spawn <laughs> oh yeah and no ears. But that thing. I don't know. I just thought it, that feels like it can live outdoors because it's quite hairy. But mm. it's not a beast. Well, it is a beast, but it, it speaks with the voice of a man. True. I, I tell you what, though. <laughs> yeah. uh, if someone asked you, how do you get to Sesame Street? Uh, you'd mm. probably point to it on a map. Oh, very good. Matthew's decided. <laughs> This wow. nonsense has gone on too long. The, the irony is, it's not on any map of New York, is it? <laughs> I'm pulling us out of this segue. Pulling us pre distinct backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we are here to talk about our favorite maps and games. Um, and before we allow Nate to. to eulogize uh the wild west for however long um i do feel because this was basically just so that me and matthew could talk about hitman a bit uh because me and matthew both played a preview build of hitman 3 which is out later this month on the 20th mm-hmm. um uh and as a series especially the the most recent run of hitman hitman 2 and Hitman Three mm. has some some amazing maps. I mean, Matthew Map Map Castle. You have opined that IO Interactive are the best map designers in the business, I believe. Yeah, in terms of like you know uh, buildings and recognisable spaces, I think they are. You know, they obviously are not making open world games, which are very different kind of maps. But in terms of like believable spaces and logical spaces i think they're like an amazing blend of things that are like mechanically interesting in terms of like they've got all the security they need but also completely logical like where you can go um and it it answers that kind of um i don't know if you get this but like or maybe it's just because i've been playing a lot of hitman anyway when you're in public Mm -hmm. spaces or public buildings the constant like mystery of behind the scenes um, I think Hitman really taps into that. You know, it's like the seeing how a build, you know, you get to see the public facing bit of a building, but then, you know, you rarely get to see like the weird tunnels or whatever that makes it work behind the scenes or how like mundane and functional stuff is. 
And that's what I yeah. really like about Hitman maps is that on one side, they are basically the homes and the palaces and the hangouts of the rich and famous. But you also, mm. to kind of get into them, have to kind of break through like all the kind of crappy stuff behind the scenes. I think that's, I, I don't know, I think that's amazing. Like, it's just so interesting and and um it's like a sort of an upstairs downstairs sort of business yeah but but like um, the modern version so like for example in in this in this new one um you know the, the first level is in dubai at the top of this skyscraper called the scepter which is meant to be like the 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 one that tom cruise climbs around on in mission impossible um the, the world's tallest building whatever it's called um the big man what <laughs> Yeah, it's called the big man. The big man. The big, yeah, the big man. Yeah. Um, and you know, you're in the lobby, and it's all really snazzy and expensive. And there's this this huge art installation, which is this sort of really sort of pretentious tunnel full of kind of glowing crystals, with lots of people sort of rubbing their chins at these yeah. big and, and like sort of slightly kind of trancey music and some pools of water. It's really odd. But then you go out if you kind of sneak out through a side door. It's you suddenly see all like the scaffolding that's holding it up, and there's all these sort of harangued sort of event managers going like, "Ah, where the f**k's the wrench?" and things like that. <laughs> and there, it's just really scrappy and like chaotic compared to the kind of face it puts on. And I just think it's yeah. so brilliantly observed, and and it finds that relationship for like so many different places, and it 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 just makes you think, you know, museums, homes, whatever, every. Every place has its, you know, sort of front-facing side and the cupboard where you stick all the shit when you're cleaning up, you know? And <laughs> that's what this game's about, I think. God, that is so appealing. It's, um, as Alice said, this is, you know, spurred by you two talking about Hitman, but this makes me want, you know, it makes me regret my role as the dog trying to constantly eat the ball in your two game of uh, of tennis and have played Hitman so I can talk about it. That sounds really interesting. Has it got like, you know, um, it's got slight sort of working class interaction vibes to it? Well, it, it depends um, on the location. I, like, it's not... There's some like satire in it, but it's it's quite broad. And like even the behind the scenes, they're still quite sort of shiny and sexy. You know, they're not like it's it's not saying like here's the squalor that powers everything else. But oh, there's right. okay. there's a definite like there's very few games where the where it's the relationship is that stark where you can walk through a door and you know instantly like oh I'm where the public aren't meant to be, and and mm. that's obviously like. That's the heart of what makes Hitman tick as a stealth game. And it's just such a, I think it's like a brilliant and really underappreciated element of the game of how it understands like how things actually work like that. Uh, when it's got a, you know, a bit where you walk into a shipping container full of indentured workers who've had their passports <laughs> seized, then I'll, then I'll be all about it. <laughs> no, no, it's not hasn't gone, hasn't gone that far yet. Um, no. I mean, there's in the new one as well. There's like a a country manor house. Um, that one's interesting because it's it is all a private space. Um, so it's not yeah. like there's a bit where the public isn't supposed to go. But it it does have um, the kitchen area where kind of and you can overhear like the the 
army of servants kind of talking and, and stuff. Um, mm. I suppose to Matthew's point, does it feel like lived in? Like, are there rooms that are a bit messy or, uh, you know? It, well, it's weird because the, the I think the aims of that level are different as well because it is a parody of, like, essentially an Agatha Christie murder mystery. It has got, it, it, it does look like a, a proper English country manor, though. Yeah. Like, it looks like a thousand National Trust houses have been in. It's Yeah, but it's I, I would say, like, more a National Trust house than, like, a home... Right. Yeah, I was. It's funny that like, uh, have you ever been to a like a a big historical property that still has that that's been like rented out or given to English Heritage National Trust or whatever, but still has like the 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 like lords and ladies or whoever living there, and oh, like, you're like snippets of that. So like, we went, I went to. Um, the Cotswolds. We went to this castle, which is still like a in use, you know, by the by the family. And you go into this room, and there was like, a, it was like a proper like Downton Abbey room, <laughs> except it had a really shitty flat screen TV, uh, yeah. with a, a box set of The Wire <laughs> underneath it, <laughs> and it just you were like, what? Someone sits in this room and watches, you know, McNulty and doing his thing. It's just a. Uh, <laughs> I found it really jarring. You're like, oh yeah, that's, I guess that is what, this is just a living room to someone. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I, Hitman does have a very good sense of humour, I think. Yeah. Especially I, in, in its maps. It's, I think it's trying to be like, funnier than like cutting maybe. Mm, yeah. What's the weirdest um, Hitman map you've ever played? It's a level in Marrakesh, which is not like, it's not like completely far out or anything. You've got like a, a busy kind of bizarre kind of market thing all bustling. But the, the, the center of the level is like the sort of Swedish like embassy in the middle. And it's this really stark, you know, Nordic looking building. It's all glass and really sharp edges just sort of sitting, squatting in the middle of this nightmarish market. Now, I don't know if that's how embassies work. I haven't, I haven't looked mm. at many embassies, but I, I don't... Do, do people, like, build their buildings based on their countries, or do they just fit into their natural landscape? That one's quite odd. Uh, I don't know, the American the uh, embassy, the new one in London, was just this big nightmare cube. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> Yeah, in Vauxhall, because the old one was like a nice kind of old, you know, concrete building kind of with some eagles stuck on it and what have you. And they built a new one in South London that had like, you know, spikes and stuff and you couldn't approach it for 200 metres either side without being seen and all this kind of stuff. And it's just a big cube of glass. It looks like the Borg have landed. Oh, right. on, like, the yeah, that that sounds a bit like this, the, yeah, this, this, this embassy in this level. But that one's like a little, you know, that one maybe feels a little on the nose in that they're trying to say, ooh, look, this is what, mm. you know, this is the, and it's all full of like, like stuffed moose and things like that. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what's your favourite level? Uh, my favourite one is Hokkaido, which is a basically a, a it's a sort of spa slash like medical facility for the rich and famous on top of a mountain in Hokkaido. So uh, 
it's, it, it looks like a place, you, of all the levels in the game, it's the place I'd most like to go and actually have a holiday because, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like a really, really expensive spa, really glorious rooms, but it's all made of glass so you can see, like, the mountain ranges around you and everything. Um, but then there's also, like, a weird sub-building of it where there's, like a, a, like, a robotic surgeon who does heart surgery on incredible VIPs um, which is basically just an excuse for you to like program a robot to like chop a man's heart up. Um, <laughs> so that, yeah, that's an elaborate setup. <laughs> but they, they, it, it, it's the weird thing is it's sort of believable in the con. It's sort of believable in the context of a level the way they talk about it, and you're like, oh yeah, I, I can believe this. You know, it's like a private. It's like the most ultra private hospital in the world. Um, oh yeah, but when you see it, it's like. You know, oh, and here's a machine that will automatically remove a heart. You know, it's like if at the beginning of a disaster movie, Tom Cruise just casually walked past a home for flammable children that the camera <laughs> then zoomed in on before he got into his oil tanker. It's, you know, yeah, that, that and it, foreshadowing, you know. Hitman does also set every level up as if, like, it's going to be an impossible task. You know, it'll be... Oh, you know, there's mm. no, there's absolutely no way of getting to this man while this robot performs open heart surgery on him. <laughs> and you're like, uh-huh. you're like, hmm, wait a second, is she hinting at an possible approach? Um, but that that level's really good as well because everyone's got, um, they're all in like kimonos, and instead of key cards, um, all the door locks have like are. Uh, uh, controlled by chips in the clothes you wear so the clothes are the key cards so the all the people in just the kimonos the guests can only get into like the jacuzzi area and the yoga area and all this but then if you steal a guard they can walk through more doors and stuff which i really liked i got really confused for a moment there i think it's because of all the crisp chat at the beginning because i I, I just chips (laughs) just imagine them with like loads of like lovely juicy fish and chip shop chips poured into the <laughs> sleeves yeah that's right shaking them a few out into a box by the door you gotta have the right, the right chips yeah for the for each facility <laughs> I, that that one can go that level can go really bad really fast and you just have to kill everyone because there are so many people wandering around um, yeah do you know everyone goes on about sapienza don't they uh, yeah, Sap- so Sapienza is like an amazing bit of world building because it's, it's basically this huge uh, Italian seaside town. And there's a big mansion, but there's also like quite a chunk of town. There's like a church and ice cream shop. And you go into the ice cream shop and you look through the glass and like every single ice cream asset is individual. You know, they haven't just put in generic ice cream. Like their, their eye for details are absolutely amazing. And it is this, it's, it's, it's such a cool place. Um, but the problem with that level, it says two people to kill, and then the third objective is to like destroy this virus, and that's mm. really boring because it means mm. the level always ends with you having to break into the same lab and basically pressing a button to kill this virus. So in a game which is all about you know multiple possibilities of of of, of you know taking down and coming up with creative solutions, it just funnels you into this very boring cave at the end of the level, which is why it's not my number one personally, but. Mm. Um, it is good. It is like an amazing place to walk around. The problem with Hitman One, and they fixed it for Hitman Two, is that they basically had five voice actors 
all incredibly English. So wherever you are in the world, you just hear the same NPC voices and they're really plummy. So, and, but they're saying like local <laughs> names. So it would be like, oh, Rocco, Rocco, we've got to get to the manor and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, oh, wow, it's a really believable Italian chef. Is um, it like when a posh person says chorizo? Yeah. To prove that they can say it authentically. But then in the next, in, in two, they kind of, they got regional voices for the levels. Um, but if, so it, that's, that's a little jarring, but you know, what are you going to do? I mean, I mean, this is fundamentally a game where you can be in a, a you know, Indian town, uh, you know, an Indian city where all the guards are Indian, you knock one out and put on his costume and you are the whitest, baldest man there ever was. And all the guards are like, oh, hello. <laughs> like, all right, mate. And you're like, yeah, I'm uh, just here for guard duty. Uh, but that's, I don't know, you just have to kind of take it with a pinch of salt. I, I really enjoyed uh, the two levels that we got to preview for Hitman 3. And I did, I haven't done it but I did want to, because in in the second level, um, which is set on like it's Dartmoor, I think. Yeah. Um, the family has like an aged retainer butler, and I really wanted to like disguise myself as him, <laughs> be like this man that they had known for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who do that. Disguise yourself as a member of the family. <laughs> that would be amazing. I, yeah, I want to try doing that basically. Um, and, and for them to just be like, yes, hello, oh, I see you've yeah, shaved your head. Yeah. Have you noticed how, <laughs> do, do you mind if I throw a, a sensible curveball in here? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just genuinely thinking about like, what would make interesting Hitman levels and what ones they probably haven't done. I bet they've done a, never done a level in a zoo, have they? No. Um, because it would be so expensive to make all the different animal assets just to use in one level when they take so much animation work. Right. And that's a shame because I bet that would be a well good Hitman level. Yeah. I bet you could do like an aquarium. There's, 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 there's a level in, there is a, there's a small aquarium in Miami in the, by the racetrack, which you can go around. There's a, there's a level in, oh. there's a level in, uh, is it? It's not Columbia. There's a level where someone's got a um, like an alligator pit, and they kind of like you can push them into it and stuff like that. Well, that, that's quite a quite a slim definition of a zoo, though. A whole <laughs> it's a, it's, I would say it's rep- a very niche zoo. <laughs> well, actually, I say that one of my favourite zoos is Crocodiles of the World. Can't wait to go there after the pandemic. It's a place in Oxfordshire. And guess what? That's right. They've just got all the different crocodiles and alligators and caimans in the world. Ooh. Genuinely lovely. One of my favourites is the Hawk Conservancy Trust, which is uh, just a load of uh, birds. But they're all um, almost exclusively all birds of prey. Um, And the definition of a bird of prey is a bird that kills its prey with its feet. Is it? Yeah. So uh, that's why uh, the secretary bird, for example, is a bird of prey because it just kicks, it kicks snakes to death. 
Oh, it's a bro. I didn't know that, Alice. That's really interesting. Yeah, secretary birds are great, by the way. If you if you have a chance, listen, look, uh, look up. So they're called secretary birds because they look like they're like an old Dickensian style secretary, like in you oh. know, like a wig and spectacles, and they've got like a big long neck, and uh, and they kill and eat snakes by waiting. Like basically, once That's a snake like is rearing, <laughs> yeah, much like a secretary, um. And they do this amazing thing when the snake's like rearing up to sort of attack slash be uh, scary. The secretary bird does this amazing like flying kick like Bruce Lee to the snake's head and then will like stamp on it until it's dead and then eat it. It's amazing. The mongooses are the same. It's like, I love how there's this whole subgenre of animals which have just their niche has been to like seek out the most lethal beasts around and just go in 100%. Because <laughs> yeah. I think if, if you're going to make your whole life about fighting snakes, you can't really half ass it, can you? No, Much like Solid Snake in Metal Gear 3, Snake Eater, which <laughs> has some great maps. <laughs> uh, no, they're, they're, they're absolutely average, but I thought it was a good segue. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you enjoy, let's segue to your cowboy for a bit. You enjoy the the map in Red Dead Redemption 2 principally for seeking out and killing animals in it. Or observing them. Um, but, you know, when there's eight different buttons for killing something, it's quite tempting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's hard yeah, to see when there are that many buttons. Does does usually end up. It's basically button. press the pause button or kill. <laughs> what a pitch. <laughs> no, I mean that is um that's a hell of a landscape. And obviously there are, you know, some astonishing fantasy landscapes in games, but in terms of I suppose going back to, to how Matthew started us off talking about the the arresting realism of finding less um, photogenic, you know, bits mm. of building the public isn't meant to see. Uh, I think, I mean, the problem is because the, the landscape in RDRO2 is so beautiful, yeah, beautifully rendered overall. It's not like you can say there are ugly bits, but you know, there's there, there's a lot of just rotten swamp. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that is also gorgeous but you know whereas there are some real set piece bits of landscape with like big mesas and things mm. there's just so much of it um you you can just go on a nature walk and yeah. you know encounter beautiful sites that aren't designed around a, a single central piece of landscape just like oh yeah this uh this little ridge here is quite quite nice. There's some good scree there, <laughs> a couple of shrubs, um, and I, you know, just shot the beak off an owl. Life's good. I I love the the flat plains. I love that they have the confidence just to have flat, empty plains for you to gallop yeah. across because that is such a key bit of the cowboy fantasy. And I often feel in other worlds where you explore, it, not many people are comfort like are comfortable with just open space. Well, yeah, I think there's quite often, especially in earlier open world games, there was 
that awkward thing, oh, we've got to get this and this and this and this and this in. And so you end up with these really crowded maps where you, you know, nothing ever feels like a wilderness because if you walk 10 feet, it switches into a different biome. Mm. Uh, the the worst thing I ever came of world. Now, there's many bad things, but just a, a game I really want to beast yet again is um, the Ark expansion. <laughs> I reviewed. Oh, it, oh, it was you know, oh, it was an Ark expansion. It was called something like G- Genesis or something <laughs> like spelt wrong, which is why I said it in a mangled way. Um, <laughs> Or is that Terminator? Anyway, it was the latest rubbish arc expansion, and it had like five different biomes, but all packed into a map the size of the original arc map, separated by impassable barriers. But I meant each one was about the size of a peanut. And when it's like, you know, this sort of cosmic expanse of floaty Guardians of the Galaxy-style asteroids and, you know steaming swamps and, and all of these things, yeah, they lose any sense of wildness if they're that big, especially when it being Ark, there's approximately nine monsters packed <laughs> into every inch of land. So, uh. you know, I, I would just spawn and immediately get slaughtered by a brute because it would just happen to be standing near where I spawned, wherever I spawned. Awful, yeah. Yeah, right, because I think, like, one of the things I really stood out when I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2 is the, like, the the icy kind of mountain area at the start, which you can return to and you do, you know, for some side quests. It feels like a genuine expedition getting up there. You know, not just, like, you have to put on your warm clothes, but there was, like, a guy had to go and kill up there, and you're like, oh, man, that is... Like, you actually think to yourself, oh, that's several days' ride. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's like... At a, you know, hugely immersive. It's not just you ride along and then mountain begins. You know, there's a real sense of like the light smattering of snow. You know, it, it's it's like a mountain. It's like real life. Um, what's and again, your that's favorite? Just tucked into a little bit on the map, isn't it? But it's huge. Yeah, I was going to say, what's what's your favorite bit of of the Red Dead map? Uh, it's got to be the 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 bio for me. I just love swamps. Um, <laughs> Uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, like the mud and stuff. I oh, just think it's, it's, you know, God, let's spend a second episode of the RPS podcast <laughs> eulogizing some mud. Um, <laughs> this no, it's so- incredible the sound design as well. Oh, it's so relaxing. <laughs> I I don't know what it is, but I'm just envisaging you with just like 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 an episode of Parkinson where he has on like Grendel, and Grendel's just this really nice, affable. <laughs> this affable, like dripping swamp monster who sat there with his legs crossed. Like I just really love swamps, man. Yeah, they're just good. They're just good. I could have done a Grendel voice there, but uh, someone wrote in to complain about me using the voice changer too much. Really. Yeah, yeah got an email. they've been angrily deleting the podcast halfway through listening. Oh, well, my God. I, I, I hope this is my Red Dead Redemption for you, <laughs> dear listener. I hope you haven't angrily deleted by now. I promise this week I won't do any voices. <laughs> that, that is not a binding, lasting promise. <laughs> That's um, hilarious. 
I like in Red Dead Two. I like I the um, I think it's called Strawberry. It's like a little town, kind of up in the. It's up in the mountains, but not snowy mountain mountains. Like very wooded. Um, there's like a really nice hotel there. I think they're trying to launch it as like a like a holiday destination. Oh, it's like I love strawberry. Yeah, sort of gentrified, isn't yeah, it? It's a bit sort but- of. Um- gingerbread houses sort it, of to me ha- like that area has that's got like the biggest deadwood vibes yeah because it's not just, you know deadwood is kind of in you know there's lots of trees and wood, it's in quite a wooded area and everything um yeah and, and anything that gives me deadwood vibes is it's gotta be good i've um every time i play and restart red dead redemption 2 I always look at all the possibilities available to me, and every time, the first thing I do is raise enough money to buy an outfit that looks like Scythe Oliver from Deadwood. Every Absolutely. time, without fail. Like, I just, I'm so enamored of that particular piece of role playing that I can't do anything else. It's like the game scripted me to do it. <laughs> God, can you imagine if Telltale had done a, a Deadwood the game? Oh, yeah. They wouldn't be allowed to swear enough, would they? Oh Can they God. swear? Are there sweary Telltale games? I, th- I think there's a bit of swearing in Tales of the Borderlands and Game of Thrones. You can't yeah, do Game of Thrones like, without swearing. But not like proper swearing, you know? Not no. like, have you seen it? But this is a tangent as well. But, you know, on Netflix, they've got that history of swearing TV series. Oh, yeah. That well, I was watching it and I was like, See, the problem with this is that it's almost entirely Americans, and Americans are the worst at swearing. No offense to Americans listening, but and one of, there's a psychologist um, or a linguist or something, uh, and he was saying like when you do a swear word, it's it's kind of you know it gives you adrenaline because it's like you're accessing a different part of your brain and it's like a naughty thing to do. So it and that's why you know when you stub your toe you swear. And it makes you feel better because you're getting that little boost of adrenaline. It lessens the pain mm. and whatever. And I was like, I don't think that applies to me. No. Because I swear so much in real life that I am fairly sure swear words are not stored in a separate part yeah. of my brain. I mean, <laughs> like, they're basically punctuation. Exactly. The effort it takes for me to not say the F word with every pause i make on this podcast oh we should do like a i know obviously Colm just bleeps out the swears Hmm. but i wish he like copy pasted them into a separate document that we could then publish as like you know the dark side of the podcast (laughs) an hour of staccato cursing (laughs) i honestly so when I got the job at Rock Paper Shotgun, um, one of the the lads that I worked with at the time, my old job, said, "I'm concerned about you going to like a proper office that has like an HR department and stuff, because you say the c word more than anyone else I've met in my entire really? life." <laughs> I don't. I I don't say it myself. No, I rarely good. say it. I don't think I've, I maybe like a couple a year and I have to be really cross. <laughs> so I- <laughs> the way, the way you said that, like, 
you know, like a Victorian sweeping boy looking from <laughs> side to side and then slowly pushing over an apple. <laughs> really innocent. It was great. Yeah, I, funny thing is, Catherine never swears, ever. But she uses, like, so instead she uses, like, um, like cowboy, like, gosh darn it, and things, which she I find bloomin very, bloomin very endearing. Yeah, blooming. Oh, no, I honestly, when I, when I read, because um, I work with uh, Inside Baseball here, we communicate via Slack a lot. And so, uh, obviously, in, in these pandemic times, I most often communicate with Catherine through, through Slack. And I do hear her as a cowboy in my head now <laughs> for that very reason. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> like a sort of can-do cowboy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, all, it's very positive. Place. I don't mean like from. a grizzled Hulk who will, you know, rip the nose off a badger just to entertain themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the good kind of cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll we'll maybe we'll do like a a bonus sweary podcast where I don't self censor. Uh, we'll do that one day, maybe. Uh, I before we move on to the Cavern of Lies, which is very kindly this week prepared by Matthew because I ran out of time. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Ubisoft because I think Ubisoft get a lot of hate for their open world maps. Sometimes it's a lazy joke. It's like you know, you know, making jokes about Florida if you're an American comedian, or like making jokes about people from Norfolk being inbred or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lazy joke to to just be like Ubisoft maps for all the. All the map markers are the quest markers. I don't know, right? But I think actually, Ubisoft designed very good maps. If, like, if for example, in Assassin's Creed Valhalla or Odyssey, or even like the uh, the ones in dense cities, like um, uh, the earlier ones, like the first Assassin's Creed and stuff. If you kind of look around while you're kind of walking through the world especially in the towns and stuff, they make a lot of sense in like where the roads mm. are, where like, you know, this will be where the bakery is and this is where the, the, um, the mill is and the water wheel and just the mm. way they're set up and stuff a lot of the time. And they're, they're actually very thoughtfully done. And I think I've said often that I would like to see them do smaller maps because they're just getting bigger and bigger. And I think if they did like a smaller, denser, Hitman style map, um, they would actually be very good at it. Yeah, that's yeah. That's it's weird with those games because I feel like the the problem with them isn't like the map or the size of the maps or that it is another map. It's like they're so um, like their missions and collectibles are so like art like they're so artificial and gamey that you get like real tunnel vision and you make like you don't really see the world as a world. You see mm. it as a you just see your path. You're just trying to find the quickest path to the glint of thing on the map rather yeah. than... It really kicks out your suspension of disbelief, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I just can't... I don't know. And, and you're right. Like, if you do stop and slow down, you see it more. Like, if anything, I think what, why I liked Valhalla so much recently, and I really, really liked it, um, mm. was like the nature of the English countryside, again, like the uh, Red Dead Plains, it's just empty, and a lot of it is empty, and there's not a lot going on. And actually, I appreciated it way more. You know, I was like, wow, this is a really beautiful, like, landscape yeah. they've made. Like, I'm really, 
this feels like much closer to like a Red Dead level of place than than I think they've done before. And it was simply because I had a bit of time to actually like the like just drink it in, and and I wasn't just doing you know busy work and yeah. Well, so I'm, I only had a quick go on um, Odyssey, which is the the Greek one. It was cool. It was good fun. Um, but my mate loaded up a save. I was waiting for him to finish some work before we did something else. And he was just like, have a go on one of the boats. So I got on a boat with the lads and went across the ye olde wine dark sea. And it was really good. But it was like rush hour in central London. There were just boats everywhere smashing into each other. <laughs> and it just didn't, you know, I was like, I can't really imagine even a fantastical version of the Bronze Age Mediterranean being this absolutely ramo with triremes. Mm. Less is more. <laughs> uh, shall we move on down into Matthew's cavern? Before we do, can I tell my best cracker joke that okay, is almost on. relevant? Yeah. Uh, how do vets in... <laughs> dystopian future London diagnose skin conditions in poorly hounds? I don't know. (laughs) Uh. The thing is, I read your cracker jokes religiously over the Christmas holiday, so I was already aware. I heard that setup and was like, oh, I know this one. (laughs) Yes. Very proud of them, actually. Best uh, best writing I did last year. Yeah, we do. Uh, I'll, I'll link to the Christmas cracker jokes this year. I sent out an email to the whole team saying, everyone, we need like a dozen Christmas cracker jokes just to put up while we're all off. And then Nate did like all of them in about half an hour and nobody else had to write any of them. It's the one truly heroic act I managed in 2020 and I'm going to dine <laughs> out on it all of 2021. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to do me a uh, cavern sting, lads? Okay. <laughs> The Cavern of Lies. <laughs> oh, I, f- I fear that you've, you've reacted too much. You've gone too far the other way, mate. I said, uh, you, you know, that's, I'm, a, I'm a, a victim of censorship. <laughs> as a, well, it's a very, very right-wing person cavern. with no sense perspective would say. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very civil Cavern of Lies I offer you. It's a bit of a traditional format. Uh, I'm going to give you five. You can tell me after each one. It's not like pick the truth out. Okay. All right. All right. These are all Easter eggs from maps. Um, I think they're eh, sort of open worldy, but hidden hidden areas and hidden things on maps. And you have to tell me if they are true. To which you say, okay. "Nice." Mm-hmm. Or if they're false. To which you say, "Ooh la la." For those that haven't listened to the podcast before. Okay. So, Easter egg number one. Uh, You'll probably know about this, Nate, as you're a big fan of Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, North of Emerald Ranch in Red Dead Redemption 2, which is like a little sort of farm area, uh, you'll find a hut full of skeletons and a note alluding to a great exodus at 2am when the moon is full. And, true to the note, should you return to the hut at 2am when there is a full moon, 
there is an alien abduction. You enter the hut. Uh, big beams of light come down. There is alien sounds. It's all very close encounters. And Arthur, you know, is visibly confused by this. So, is this mm. true? Is this nice? Or, <laughs> ooh la la. Oh my goodness. Well, now. Uh, oh. I'm trying to remember if Bigfoot's in the game because Bigfoot's always a good litmus test, isn't he? <laughs> like, you know, if uh, if you if you tolerate this, um, if you tolerate, <laughs> now there's that. I mean, there's the statue of a gorilla, which you have written about, Nate. Yeah, that um, is as real as God. Which may depend on your perspective, actually. I'm agnostic, so this is not a good example. Um, <laughs> no, the gorilla's real. The gorilla's real. But that is like, that's got an explanation. It's a, uh, it's a taxidermied gorilla that's... It's really cool, because when you see it, you don't know what the explanation is, but then you find a, like, a shattered bridge up above and a crate nearby, and you talk to a taxidermist who's lost some specimens, and it becomes clear. So that's... You know, it's kind of like an X-Files episode where it turns out it isn't actually a, a space gorilla. There's a game that ha- definitely has an alien reference in it that it, that's like a, a Superman reference, I think, and this couple find a baby, but I can't remember if that's Fallout or not. And they do... I was going to say, it sounds quite complicated, but then they're, like there are some things in like Grand Theft Auto that well, yeah they think there's still secrets hidden in GTA 5 don't they <sighs> this is I tough really weird stuff in, in Red Dead the skeletons and stuff really rings a bell but the aliens I'm gonna I think it's nice I think I'm falling down on that side I won't be ashamed if I'm wrong. Oh, it's nice. Okay, yeah. Nice. You say nice, it yeah. is. Nice. Yay! You all would have been incredibly embarrassed if I was wrong, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, in Cyberpunk 2077, uh, there mm-hmm. is a scene where you have a heart-to-heart with Johnny Silverhand out in the Badlands, which is, if you haven't played it, it's kind of like a, a giant kind of garbage dump around the outside of the city, and there's all kinds of stuff there. Um, yeah. But after you have this scene, if you walk south from that to that location, uh, you can find uh, the top of the telephone booth from Bill and Ted poking out of the trash piles, and you hear uh... Johnny hand say, hmm, excellent. I'm obviously not doing the voice. He doesn't say it like <laughs> just in his kind of low key. Hmm. Excellent. I, uh, I I don't think they could have resisted doing something like that, Alice. Do, uh, basically, Alice, can you think of another Keanu Reeves wink to camera? Because if you can't, then that's probably the one. But the thing, I I don't know because 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 I. The thing is, right, it's got so many, like, stupid references in it that, like, 
this would f- fit into that. But I don't know if it's too subtle because the other references are just wholesale, like repeating jokes from other properties. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think I would say this game has like a range of subtleties to its Easter eggs. There are some big oh, no, ones. It doesn't. Yeah, there are there are there there are some there are, there are, there are plenty of smaller things like the Bill and Ted phone books. I think that this is extremely authentic to me. I think it's a lie, but do you want we can split our vote if you want. Well, the crucial I difference is you've actually played Cyberpunk, so I'm I will actually because oh, there's one there's what there's a whole side quest. You, have you watched um, the American Office? Yeah, I've not seen it. Well, there's one. There's an episode where one of the guys that works in the warehouse reveals that he's uh, a surgeon who had to flee Japan because he was he was a heart surgeon and he had to operate on the the yakuza boss. Um, mm. And he was like, "My big secret is that I killed the yakuza boss on purpose. I'm a good surgeon." And they just one of the side quests is just that, like they just repeat that joke. Slightly yeah. reworded, like one of the websites that scrapes like mm. our content and then runs it through like an an automated synonym machine. <laughs> so I think that if they were going to put a Bill and Ted reference in, you would just meet like two guys called like William and Eddie or something <laughs> in a phone box. Literally, <laughs> the first thing that happens in the game is you open your flat and there's a man there and you go Rufus. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, party on! <laughs> <laughs> he gets into a telephone box and vanishes. Oh, it would be that. Just that's a, that's Bill and Ted. That's a Bill and Ted reference. Yeah, or like, like, or Johnny Silverhand would literally say, like, "Oh yeah, I was into all that old world media stuff. My favorite movie was this one called Bill and Ted." Like, it would just be that. I don't think they would do anything anyway. Acknowledge the existence of Keanu Reeves. That's too meta. Mm, true, but I, I, on the basis that that sounds more clever than I think would the reference would actually be, I think it's a lie. But Nate, do you think uh, it sounds like? No, no, I'm a vintage coward. I'm going to charge in behind you with the. Uh, yeah, I'm saying la la. This one is. Ooh la la! Yeah. <laughs> God damn it! Oh, Apparently. Excellent. There is an advert in the game where either Silverhand, there's, a, there's an advert for a shop which has either got Silverhand or someone else in it who's looking at a rack of coats and says, clothes, lots of clothes, like the um, guns from the Matrix. Ugh. See? Yikeroon. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's see. Uh, I'll hit you up with another dollop of truth here. Uh, yeah, okay. Have you heard of... Uh, the Warden's secret room in Batman Arkham Asylum. It's an mm. Easter egg that was so well hidden, Rocksteady eventually had to announce it. Because it wasn't on the map. Um, you can't see it with Batman's detective vision, but he basically had to put his explosive goop, or whatever it's called, on a specific point on the wall. And you had to keep doing it, and eventually the wall would shatter, and there was a secret room which hinted at the next game in the series, but it was so well hidden, Rocksteady eventually just went, uh, hey guys, why don't you blow up this wall? And people did it and found it. 
how many times do you have to explode the wall? Uh, I think, I think all I all I know is it's more than one because they didn't want you doing. But you know, it had to be you know feasibly someone could have been exploding every bit of the wall a couple of times. I think. Hmm. I mean, I believe the internal logic of it because yeah, you wouldn't just keep. Like in, 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 where, in games, if a wall's not destructible, you know about it bloody quickly and you don't keep trying. So it was a foolish thing for them to do, really, wasn't it? Mm. If indeed they did it. Mm. Which they did. What was, what was in it, sorry? It was like just, it was the warden of Arkham Asylum's office, and that when you go into not not the secret room, that would be preposterous. Um, and uh, he had he had a normal office, but then he had like a secret office, okay. which was this office, and it had a big map that was like, you know, it said something like that, you know, next on my to do list, take over the city or something. Oh, so okay. So it was setting up Arkham City. How did the warden get into the office? Did he have to explode the wall every time well, we wanted to go is, in? And then- it's just, it's just a, that's that's never that's never really explained as as far as I can remember. <laughs> it's suggested that he came up with a I don't know, maybe he came up with a good plan and was like, "Yep, that's locked in. I'm going to brick this room up." <laughs> well, that's uh, that 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 is that one shot in the neck. Uh, ooh la la! Really, I was going to say nice because it. No one bricks up a good plan. That's not a thing you do. But uh, but like it being a hint for the next game rings has the ring of nice to me. <sighs> no, do you know what? I'll die a free man. Ooh la la. No, I'm saying nice. And Nate's saying Ooh la la. Well, we gotta split. This is the yeah. drama people enter the caves for. It, it is nice. Yes. Nice. Champion. Oh. Champion. I only stuck with that because I wanted to look brave. I hope <laughs> I still do. Well maybe maybe you'll have luck with this next one. We've got two more to go. So come All on. Right. This is Baldur's Gate 3, which you know is in early access, but even though it's mm. in early access, it's already stuffed with lots of Easter eggs. If you head behind the overgrown ruins, which are right at the start of the, the level you're dropped in, uh, yeah. you can use a jump spell, which triples the length of your jump, and or doubles it, it basically extends your jump, and you can hop to what is basically a pixel of land off the coast, like a little rock. Um, if you do that, jump on another rock, you get to a little island, and on that island are some of the characters from Divinity Original Sin 2 sitting around a fire, and Fane, who's the skeleton in Original Sin 2, says, Ah, remember our early access days? Simpler times. And that's (laughs) it. It's very cute. But it's like a nod, I think, to because Original Sin 2 obviously was early access as well. So I want that to be real. But then if you think, like, let's just put you in castle vision here (laughs) and, like, imagine Matthew booting up, like, that bit in Robocop when you see it from his perspective. And we know he had to come up with the Cavern of Lies quite quickly today. Hmm. 
And so, like, in the top left-hand corner of the screen, in green writing, it would be like, uh, <laughs> what games do I know? You know, what, what games appear in my consciousness so readily that I could speak <laughs> about them as if to a god truth? <laughs> And immediately, uh, Baldur's Gate slash Divinity Original Sin, like both of them would be yeah. at the top of that list. And then he's like, I shall combine them. <laughs> like he's I... So I think it's... Uh, I, well, yeah. I think... No, I, come on. I'm known for my mind game. Surely I, I would have predicted you would have seen that, uh, that series of events uh, unfolding. No, like... I, I agree with Nate. I mean, it's probably metagaming, but I do agree with Nate on this, I think. And also, like, they'd have to get the voice actor back in just to record a line about an Easter egg. Um, well, I think, I I think Fame, was he not voiced by someone on the team? I, do, I don't know, Matthew. If was he? Given us a name there, like, that might have swung me around, but the fact you said someone on the team, that famous voice actor. <laughs> No, I like that. I don't know the names of the voice actors in there, but I think it's. Uh, I don't. No, like, I think. Well, like it wasn't. You know, when I found this Easter egg for myself, I didn't think, "Oh wow, they got the guy back in." I just went, "Oh yeah, it's probably." I I think one of these characters is voiced by someone on the team, so this makes sense. Now this this justification is is gone full four seasons total landscaping, mate. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a new la la for me. Uh, yeah, it's Ula. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what isn't Ulala, and that's this last one. Um, though, well, I say that. Uh, this one is slightly debatable, um, but the community's generally agree- in agreement that it is an Easter egg. I just want okay. to agree with that. Uh, it's Interesting. In, it's in Metro Exodus, um, which is the sort of first open world area you get to, which is the Volga. And your mm. train breaks down, you get off, and it's basically like a marshland. Um, and it can feel a bit like a scripted sequence, like there's a boat you're meant to get in. But if you don't get in that boat and you explore around, you can actually get into these sort of um, derelict houses that the boat goes past. And if you get into those houses, there's some like extra ammo and stuff you can get. But in one of them, um, amongst all the kind of the, the various clutter, upstairs, there's a cluster of like world props there's like a there's a there's an old sponge next to a snail shell a starfish and like a sort of dried crab thing and people think it's a big spongebob squarepants joke okay it might just be a club it might just be a club like these objects do appear in other places it might just be like some stuff but people think this particular combination is sponge is a spongebob squarepants nod that's mega real. Has to be. That has just got such the ring of truth to it. Or you did such a good bit of metafiction with the now the community thinks preamble that I, I would just respect the lie. Mm. See, I, I, I played that first bit. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll go with a nice if if I don't know. I'll go with an I'll 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 back you on the nice, Nate. But I am slightly suspicious because it seems like such a strange reference to put into Metro. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I will I will say I am in agreement. It is strange. 
I know it. That mm-hmm. that is very Russian humour. I think. Is SpongeBob big in Russia? <laughs> it's big everywhere. It's inescapable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, it's sardonic, dry. Like, yeah, that's. I could see that being a a, a good Russian gag. I, I don't know. Oh, well, I don't even know right. if it's a Russian developer. I just know the game's very Russian. They're, they're Eastern European, I think. Well, anyway, I'll go with nice, but I am sceptical. Nice. Ah, yes. This one is... Oh, la la. Ah. Oh, Ooh, bums. Yeah. I thought when you played the sound, Alice, that was... No, uh, that's... Uh, I don't have... Annoyingly, it's, it's a weird quiz where I'm running it, but don't have access to any of the sound effects yeah. to control it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> yes! I knew that SpongeBob one would land. Yeah. That would well be very impressive. It wasn't even written on anything. Yes. What was that? The victory snake. Yeah. Oh, I fantastic! Like it. Well, that was a pretty. I'd say. Uh, uh, I think you got more right than you did wrong. Uh, no. Yeah. No, I think it was yeah. three two to the cave master actually. No, but no, it wasn't. Yeah, I think it was. Um, should we? Uh, <laughs> should we leave? Yeah, it was four. I got. I got four right. Nate got three. Oh, listen, get the hell out of my cave. I still survived. Fine. Quick, Alice, run. Run through this sting. It turned a bit nasty there at the end, but thank oh. you very much, Matthew. It was just, uh, I don't know, maybe he's got something very, very important to do at quarter to one. Uh. Okay, right. <laughs> well, in that case, let's uh, let's rustle through some recommendations. Uh what, what are you recommending this week, Matthew? I am recommending... Oh, that was actually a joke. Uh, I, I don't have anything at quarter one. I just felt bad about <laughs> being particularly stern. Thought I could maybe sc- scrape back some charm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, no, just, I don't know. In a, in a slightly belligerent mood. Um, so today I'm recommending um, The Devil in the White City, the book. Ah, have you read this? I have heard of it. By Eric Larson, it tale it tells oh, it the tells World's Fair one. the incredible story of the 1893 Chicago World Fair, um, <sighs> a joint narrative that is split between the architect of the World Fair, who's basically trying to pull off a nightmare of event organization in true hitman fashion, and a well, basically this incredibly unhinged bloke who moves to the city and decides to build a uh, a sort of hotel designed to help him murder lots of people, and it's sort of two men of industry, but setting their goals, their aims on very different goals. Um, and I heard about it. Someone was telling me about the serial killer aspect of it, which is kind of why I wanted to read it. But when you read it, that's all fascinating, of course. But it's the World Fair, which is just like this. I, I honestly like. Uh, it, you know, I haven't seen, we weren't there, you can't see it, but it's such a feat and the stuff they have to go through and the people involved and the kind of, like, weirdly, the sort of shockwaves it sends through history, like important people who are part of it, people it inspired, things it ushered in for Chicago and then other American cities. It is, it is one of the best things I've read in 
ages. Um, really good, like ju- very sort of journalistic, but uh, you know, in, in its eye for detail, but novelistic in its telling. Fantastic. Yeah. Get on it. Very good. It's really Thank good. They invented. Uh, um, oh, what they? they invented all this food just for the World Fair, which is now really popular, and I can't remember any of it. I think they invented like shredded wheat or something. <laughs> what an amazing loop round it would be if you said crisps. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'd, like I, it's too long to explain why, but weirdly, the World Fair is the reason why. You know, when there are like slightly dubious sort of snake charmer bits in scenes set in Egypt or whatever, and they play yeah. the tune. Da, 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 yeah. That was written by a bloke at the World Fair for a thing. And really? Yeah, well, it was, it, was, it was basically written for belly dancers who came over, and it became so associated with the kind of exotic sort of Arabic sort of dancing, whatever, that it... That it um, yeah, it's stuck in popular culture. Wow. No way. Yeah, there That's you go. And he just whistled it off the top of his head. He was, he was like, oh, just do this. Do, 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 do. And they were like, yeah, fine. Yeah. And do. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I really want to read that book now. It's fantastic. I'll add it to the list of books I want to read and never managed to. Uh, Nate, what have you got for our readers this week? I've got the confession that I've been staring hollowly around my desk for the last three minutes in a rising panic trying to think. <laughs> Every week, Nate, we do a recommendation. Um, it can hardly come as a surprise at this point. You should recommend the I, voice changer to spite that dude. <laughs> do you know what? I'm gonna. That's a great idea. Uh, it's called, oh, that's so good. It's called Voice Mod. Um, and if you, yeah. I found if you Google voice changes, you get loads of really like hot garbage and and yeah, blatant malware and stuff. This one's all right. It's called Voice Mod. There's a free and a premium version. Premium version is quite cheap. I'm a premium sort of guy, so I've gone for that. Um, but the free version has has got lots of good stuff on it. You can customize your own voices on it, um, and uh, you'll be comfortable the first night you sleep on it, all your money back. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Uh, anything for the aquarium this week? Yeah, um, I'm going to recommend. Um, oh, I actually had something as well. What's the name of this distiller I've got? I, I don't know. Are you asking? Uh, yes, I'm asking you to look through my headphones and tell me <laughs> what the brand of this distiller is. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you via the, the, the magic of um, the show notes, but the important thing is it is a water distiller. It's uh, actually designed for dentists, I think. Um, mm. No, maybe it's not at all. It looks like it could have been designed for dentists. What I mean to say is it's made of white plastic, um, but it will turn four litres of tap water into four litres of distilled water uh, in about two and a half hours. And that's very good because if, you're, if you've got a fish tank that you're topping up with water over a long period of time to counter evaporation, if you're putting in tap water, treated obviously, then 
the concentration of minerals will gradually increase until the water's astonishingly hard. And if you've got soft water fish, that will make them sad. But if you top up with distilled water, it's got nothing in it. So it will just keep the water chemistry exactly the same. Yeah. A worthwhile investment. That sounds very good. Uh, I am going to recommend a book as well. Now often do books, don't we? But um, I read a lot, so screw you. Sorry, that sounded like uh, I don't even own a television. Um, <laughs> which is the name for podcast that I recommend a lot as well. Um, but I'm going to recommend a book called My Sister, the Serial Killer. Uh, it's not a long read, uh, but it's very good. Um, and it does what it says on the tin. It's about a nurse whose sister uh, kills men that she's dating. Um, and it's uh, funny as well as poignant and a very good kind of um, examination of like a, a sibling relationship as well. Um, the, the, there's an abusive father in it as well, because when is there not? You know, can't have nice things these days. But um, it's very, very good. And I enjoyed it very much. Uh, so there you go. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode 124. The Electronic Wireless Show, Rock, Paper, Shotguns, PC Gaming Podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion. And now that we've given you our recommendations, uh, I must direct you to our Facebook and Twitter, um, which we are on, uh, our, as Rock, Paper, Shot, our YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash Rock, Paper, Shotgun, I think. Um, we've got a merch store, which is teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Uh, rock, Paper, Shotgun, she says, smushing her words together. Um, uh, and of course, for your PC gaming needs, go to www.rockpapershotgun.com, uh, where you can also find our other podcast, which Matthew is also on, which is sort of PC current events podcast for the PC gaming week spot. Yes. Uh, Lots of confusing references to me wearing a tuxedo, which is a very visual element, which you obviously don't get to see here in the see in a podcast. So just go with it. But you. You can watch it in video form as well. In video too, where, where that stuff makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and also check out our Discord, which has a channel just for talking about how good the podcast is. Um, but until next week, it's goodbye from me, Aspel. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Map Castle. <laughs> goodbye. And it's goodbye from the cowboy. Hey, boy. Bye. Bye.